You know, it's funny, over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about our armor. We've been talking about all these different pieces, and they're intentional that pieces of armor that God has given us to help us in our spiritual battle that we're walking in every single day. And today we're going to continue that by unpacking our helmet of salvation. And so today's going to be really, really kind of fun. This helmet is unbelievably famous when you look at it. I mean, this beautiful, it was either horsehair or feathers that would come and so, I don't know what you want to call it, a plume? Does that work? All right, so this beautiful, and, and it was like a mohawk. It's got these cool little cheek covers that they weren't developed until a little bit later, but helmets, believe it or not, are one of the most enduring of all military tactical gear. The purpose of a helmet, for the most part, is protection. Okay, we need protection when we are on the battlefield, but also we use helmets for protection in lots of other places. I, I think the Eagles are playing today, is that correct? Four o'clock, there we go, see? Um, they, they have a game. Yeah, they may not be playing. They have a game, um, and at that game, they will be wearing what um, when they're on the field? They'll be wearing helmets. The Eagles wear helmets when they are on the field, and so it's like, there they are. They're made to protect the heads of football players that are always crashing into each other. I will say, even Eagle fans, you wear helmets. Did you know that? You wear helmets to your game. I've seen this. Your helmets at the game, they're designed to physically protect us from you, um, you know, or protect you from yourself. We've been to an Eagles game. You know that. Motorcycles. If you're on a bike, you wear what? A helmet. And this is one of the newer helmets that's developed. It's so cool. On the back, it's got a camera so that it allows you to see 360 degrees around you, not just so that you can enjoy the ride, but for better protection. And what's great about these helmets is all across the United States, I, I learned this this week, every state has different rules when it comes to helmets. There's actually three states in the United States that have absolutely no helmet rules when it comes to motorcycles. 18 states that say if you're ever going to sit on a motorcycle, you have to wear a helmet no matter what, one of those being New Jersey, and the rest of the states have modified laws that basically for us, if you cross over the bridge to go riding around in PA, if you're over 18, you don't have to wear a helmet. There is no law that says you have to, but please do. We like you. It will protect you. In addition to protecting us, Helmets have this way of kind of showing what group we belong to. They say something about us. You know, a soldier's helmet is one of those things that we wear. Oh, oh, uh, who is this? Okay, good. Boba. That's Boba. It's green. Uh, this is a Boba Fett helmet. We all know that he belongs to a certain tribe simply because of the helmet that he wears. Our soldier's helmets, though, they look a little bit different. When our troops go into battle, this is the helmet that they will wear in certain parts of our military. And it, what's so cool is it's not just a helmet to protect their head. It has so many different things that can be attached to it, put onto it. You know, it's got lights and, and cameras and tactical things inside. It even has your name and your blood type in case you are unconscious and need help. They know a way to help you. The helmet, when we look at it, is what we need when we go into battle. It's not an optional piece of equipment for us. This is required. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference for us between victory and defeat. And in the same way, the spiritual battle that's waging all around us, we need to put on 
this headgear. Each of us. In God's kingdom, I will tell you this. There is a helmet law. There is a helmet law. So let's walk through Ephesians 6 together to see how this helmet fits us. What does it do? What does it mean? And so let's look at each of these pieces of armor together, and we'll read through Paul's list here. It says this. If it's in italics, would you read it with me? It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth. truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of, of righteousness in place, and with your fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says, listen, we are in a battle with powers, with principalities of the spiritual world, and they are conspiring. They are working together to destroy us as followers of Jesus and our job is to stand firm. Our job is to stand up to this. And this armor that we've been given is both defensive and it is offensive. And last week we talked about our shield of faith and the importance that we form together this impenetrable wall. We uh, pick up some turtle power, if you will, some turtle formation. Remember this? That, that we need to work together to pick up our own field of or our own shield of faith but it's not to retreat, it's to advance. We are called to move forward, and faith is what helps us do that. So today, let's just look at this helmet. I mean, how amazing is this? When Paul's writing this passage in Ephesians, he's looking at this helmet, and this is what he has in mind. He's staring at his guard, and this was amazing. Like I said, this plume is very Romanesque, and the horse hair that it would be, or the feathers that it would be, would signify that you were part of the Roman army, and the officers largely wore this plume. The primary purpose of this was actually to protect the Roman soldier from catching a broadsword to the head, right? That's what it was meant to do. And over time, they started to build in these cheek guards, which are kind of, um, kind of weird when you think about it, but it was coming down for most of these soldiers to protect their necks. It definitely limited your sight a little bit, but it was worth it for the protection it brought down there. So when Paul's writing about this helmet, he's looking at the soldier, he's looking at this helmet, but the helmet was most likely sitting on a table or on the ground next to the soldier. The soldier would not walk around regularly wearing these helmets, simply because the helmet is the only piece of armor that the soldier puts on right before they go into battle. I will tell you from experience today, driving, the, uh, driving my car instead of the truck over, filled with everything that I could to get the helmet here before we had a van to bring everything, I'm driving in my car with the helmet on thinking, please don't pull me over. Um, I don't know how to explain this, and it's heavy. It's a heavy piece of armor. Of course you wouldn't put this on before you go into battle. It's uncomfortable. It is heavy. You only wear it before you are going to attack or be attacked like a football helmet or a motorcycle helmet. It would make sense to see that in a game or on the road. But if someone walked in here right now with a football helmet on to sit and hang out, it would feel out of place, wouldn't it? It would be uncomfortable. It wouldn't make sense. It's not for walking your dog. In the same way, Paul says, listen, you need to put this on for battle. Why? Because we are in battle all the time. 
There is no rest in the spiritual battle that's happening around us. There's no break, so we need to be prepared. And what's cool about this to me is, uh, you know, the armor of God and this helmet of salvation. In Ephesians 6, this is not the first place that it's mentioned in the Bible. About 800 years before Ephesians 6 is written, we get this beautiful picture from Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, who begins to write about God. And this is what he writes in Isaiah 59. He says, he, talking about God, put on the righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah is talking about God. Right? God himself has a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation. You know, when Paul's writing about this stuff, it's not new. You know, God is like the OG divine warrior. He started all of this. He's got it ready. He's rolling with it. And as followers of Jesus, we use this term in here a lot, helmet. I mean, salvation. We use the word salvation all the time. We sing about it. We talk about it. We bring it up as like, oh, we're saved. And we ask people, are you saved? But have you ever sat back and thought, like, really? What are you saved from? We say salvation, but what are we saved from? I know we talk about we're saved from sin. So we talk often about the perfect Son of God. We talk about Jesus coming to die for our sins. But honestly, much more often we don't go down the path. We don't think about anything else other than the sin piece. I love that in his book, The Fourfold Gospel, A.B. Simpson, who um, was the founder of our denomination and is a great book, uh, he, he unpacks what it means to be saved and what we're saved from so succinctly. And like the first couple of pages of this book, so what are we saved from? We're saved from the guilt of sin. Anything that we think we say we do that does not line up with God's way, we are forgiven. We are saved from the guilt that comes along with it. We are saved from the wrath of God. Because he is holy, he must punish sin, right? But that punishment was taken by Jesus, which means that we're saved from the curse of the law. All of those laws that we find in the Jewish Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, all 600 of those laws that we look at, the curse that comes with disobeying them, Jesus has summed it up into two things. Love God, love your neighbor. Okay, love God, love people, we can do this. We're saved from evil consciences. And an evil heart. Because Jesus has filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's renewing our hearts and our minds from the inside out. We are saved from the fear of death. We sing about this one, but I don't think we really believe this or understand this. People are terrified of what death means and what it what will happen. And oh my gosh, we don't have to be scared because Jesus has conquered death. He has said death has no power. Death to those who Follow Jesus is simply the next step in looking like Jesus. This is nothing for us to fear. It's lost its sting and salvation. We have been saved from Satan's power and from his kingdom. We are talking about spiritual battles in this series. And the enemy is fighting for every single one of our souls. But listen, when you have placed your trust in Jesus, can I just tell you this morning more than anything else that you've been claimed by Jesus?
We sang songs this morning to declare who we are, that we are children of God, that we are claimed, and we are invited into a different kind of army and a different kind of kingdom. We are invited to march victoriously in love because the enemy has no power. He is relentless with his lies, though. He is absolutely always looking to attack us, intimidate us. He is out to steal, to kill, to destroy. Look at the world around us as we talked about in week one. The evil of poverty, of racism, sexual assault, mass shootings, every kind of injustice that you can imagine. Through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, he has saved us from the power of sin. And he has saved us from Satan and he has called us to move into this world. He has rescued us from this dying world because we know that we can step forward in faith because Jesus is coming back to restore all of this world to wholeness again. We have been saved from so much. I like the way that A.W. Tozer puts this. And if you've never read anything this guy writes, oh, go get it. He says this, and he just sums it up well. If man had his way, the plan of redemption would be an endless and bloody conflict. In reality, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. Jesus died from and for our sin so that we could live eternally. And, and salvation is a gift from God that none of us can earn, that none of us deserve, and yet it was freely given to all of us so that we would no longer have to live in fear. So that we would no longer feel the guilt of our sin. And we would be able to resist the devil. We do not have to run from a fight. Amen? When we put on this helmet, let me tell you something. This is a reminder to ourselves. And this should be a declaration to the community and to the world around us that we are citizens of an advancing kingdom. That we are part of a peacemaking army, that we are not like everyone else around us. And instead, we are men, we are women, we are teenagers of Jesus who will fight for justice through the power of love. That we, in this helmet of salvation, should be the sign of hope and not hate to our world. I don't know about you, but I want this so bad in my life. I want this so bad in my family's life, in the life of our church. I pray and I long for us to be a community who we put on this helmet and when we go somewhere, people see something different in us. That we have been saved and it's not for us that we've got this plume on our head that makes us stand out. And that when those who are hurting, when those who are in pain, when those who are wrestling with the evil and the difficulties of this life, when they're stuck, they look and they see you and they see me and they see something that makes us stand out because we identify as children of God. Whether it's at work, whether it's at our playgroups, our schools, our lunch tables, your sports team, or in your home. Will the freedom that we have be seen 
the salvation that we experience, that we can be free. Do people see this or do they see us as defeated, frustrated? And as followers of Christ who have done nothing but give up, will we be people who, through deep humility, because we know what we've been saved from proudly, put on our helmets for the world around us? This is what we're called to do. This is my prayer. You know, can we just pray for that right now? Can we just, can, would you just stand with me? Let's pray for this right now. Jesus, I, I, I want us to look so different. I want to look so different. Oh God, with this helmet, would, would we put this on not just for us, but for those around us, that they would see us walking around and there would be this giant plume above the cloud of sin that surrounds us all right now right here in New Jersey in, in Pennsylvania for those who are watching online wherever that is that cloud that sits would our helmets of salvation rise above that that when people are packed in and jumping to get air where it's cold and it's fresh as opposed to what's stale on the bottom would they see that plume and long to know what sets us apart. And in doing so, we can boldly, proudly, and humbly proclaim the love of Christ has set me free. You can be free too. Lord Jesus, give us boldness with this helmet. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, sometimes when I think of putting this on, if it's going to draw attention, and that's, that's what we're hoping for, right? It draws attention. If it does, I don't always feel prepared to put it on. Like I, I, I think there's times that when I look at this, I'm going, I, I don't know that I look enough like Jesus yet that I want people coming to me. I don't know that I know enough about the Bible. If someone asks me a question, I'm like, uh, I have no idea. It's safer not to be identified as a Christian so that I don't mess up rather than ever put the helmet on and let people see that I stand out as a follower of Christ. When we, does anybody else feel that besides me? I'm telling you, I, feel, I still feel that. Okay, cool. Some of you are telling the truth. Others, are, others of you, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself. It's fine. Um, listen, we all feel this. And I know that. Because that is one of the primary lies of the enemy is that you're not ready for this yet. You're too screwed up to really follow Jesus and represent him. So wait till you get better. Wait till you behave more. This is exactly why we need this helmet. Because of the lies like that. We cannot let Satan get into our head. Can you turn to a neighbor right now, someone in front of you, behind you, next to you? Would you just say, don't let him get in your head? Some of you didn't turn. Go ahead, do it again. Don't let him get in your head. Say it loud. If you have a spouse, you really say it loud, okay? Listen, part of the spiritual war that we're in is a battlefield for our mind. When we can sit in a place that, that Satan can influence our thinking patterns, at that point, he can sit back, he can smile and think to himself, perfect, they will think themselves into a meaningless, defeated, and ineffective life. Let me tell you, there's three ways that I think that Satan can influence the way that we think, that he manipulates us. And the first is that you justify or you rationalize your sin. 
Maybe instead of running from it, you're in a place where your marriage isn't going too well right now. Maybe you and your spouse just aren't seeing eye to eye and things aren't um, as intimate as they used to be when you first got married. Physically, emotionally, all of your needs just aren't being met right now. So emotionally, you know what? It's okay to detach a little bit because at work, I can emotionally indulge with some of those people. I know it's just silly for me laughing. It's not that big of a deal. It's not like I'm going to act on this physically. So who cares? Maybe every now and then, you're thinking it's just, it's been a tough season. It's not what I'm thinking and hoping for physically. And so you decide to jump online for a little while. I know it's not regular. I know it's just, you know, it's every now and then. And, and a little bit of porn is not that big of a deal. So physically, whatever. It's better than acting out physically with somebody else, isn't it? Can I just tell you something? That is rationalizing and justifying our sin. Those are lies from the enemy. That, that, that's not honoring a marriage. That's not building into your marriage. That's a lie. Don't let the enemy get in your head. Another way that the enemy influences our thinking is, is to talk you out of taking risks for God. I know some of you here last week, you came and you were thinking after this shield of faith, like, pick it up, move forward, we can do this. And you're thinking, I want to invite someone to church with me. And you had someone in mind, or you're thinking that that person that sits across from you at school, I mean, I know we're going through a youth group. They would love that. And you intentionally felt like you should be reaching out to somebody. But somehow between Sunday and Monday, you convinced yourself out of this. You, thought, you know what? It was just a hype message, right? It was just a build up, and, and that, that's all that was. And it's, no, that's a lie from the enemy. He, he kept you from taking a risk. He influenced your thinking. Don't let the enemy talk you out of that stuff. And the last way that I think he influences our thinking is through friendly fire. Uh, we all experience this. This is when you begin to shoot people on your own side. This is when you begin to villainize the people who are around you instead of focusing in on the real enemy. The enemy makes it seem like it's your spouse, it's your kids, it's your parents, it's your siblings that are your enemy. And so what do we do? We blow up and we attack them instead of the real enemy. Maybe it's a bad day at work, it's a bad day at school, your boss or your teacher's just a jerk that day. I, I, I get it. Satan loves when we direct that anger, that frustration at our spouse, our families. Right? He loves that. Because when you feel hopeless, which is like a breeding ground for the enemy, when you're hopeless, you believe the lies. And I want to tell you, there is hope that God is in those dark seasons. Do not let the enemy get in your head. Don't let him do this. You see, when he gets in your head, that's when we get stuck and we find ourselves in patterns. We rationalize. We play it safe. With this friendly fire becomes normal, not an anomaly. We all get stuck in this. I know that. We've all been there. You know, it actually reminds me of a video that went viral a couple of years ago. Um, does anyone remember when Joey got stuck? When Joey got stuck. You know, Joey was um, about three or four years old. And Joey found himself in a place where, like every good kid, 
you somehow got your head stuck in the rail. In this video, the dad is beginning to try to bend iron to get his son's he uh, head out. He's beginning to pull things apart and all that he can because his kid's starting to cry. And what I love the most is mom is filming for about two or three minutes. Right? Thank you, moms. Thank you for keeping that going. Um, you know, but how many of us have been in a place where you somehow got yourself mentally into a place where you are stuck and you all ask the question like I do, why do I keep doing this? Why can't this thing stop? Why am I always struggling with? And fill in your blank. Please tell me I'm not the only one stuck. Please. Oh, good. We all feel this. It doesn't matter what you do, you cannot get unstuck. You can't try harder anymore. You can't work harder. You can't believe more. And in these moments, can I tell you, the only answer is to turn to Jesus and to let him transform your thinking. With the helmet of salvation, when we put this on, what it does is it renews our mind. Paul mentions this in his letter to Rome when he's writing to them, and, and he says, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says to them, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And when he says patterns of this world, let me tell you, this is one of the enemy's attacks to us. This is one of his spiritual, I would say, man, his attackers. When we conform to the patterns of this world, we're in trouble. He says, but instead of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. And we keep coming back to this verse over and over. Why? Because the battle over our brain is so unbelievably important. The patterns of this world, they want to squeeze you and I into this limited way of seeing the world and reality. And what does Jesus want to do? He wants to transform your thinking so that you can renew what? So that you could renew your mind. Jesus wants to free your mind from the destructive patterns and lies of the world so that you can see things differently, so that you can find God's rescue when everything around you seems impossible, just like Joey did. You saw it before, but let's check this out again. There's nothing great though with kids screaming how excited they are, right? Joey's dad actually had to help him think differently. Notice his freedom did not come from trying harder to pull his head back from the place it came from. He could not back up out of the issue that he was in. His freedom came from what? It came from pushing through with a new style, a new way of thinking. He needed to even slow his mind down enough because, please, if you've had a kid trapped in anything, speaking sense to them is impossible. If you're not a parent yet, let me teach you some, a great phrase as a parent. Would you, you hear this? When you calm down, we can talk. Okay, when you, that's, you use that, and, uh, oh, you know what, I'll tell you this, if your parents all freaking out on you, just say, hey, when you calm down, we can talk, but say it calmly, don't yell at them, okay, and if they're like, you can't say that, say Pastor Jimmy said to just not my kids, um, listen, we need sometimes to slow our mind down enough to listen to what God is saying to us. 
to listen to a new set of ideas from our dad and our heavenly father does the same exact thing with our minds when we slow down and we spend time with him here in the Bible, in the scriptures. This is what constantly renews us. It refreshes our minds. And when we apply the patterns of the life of Jesus into our life against the lies of this world, let me tell you, when we live out what Jesus actually says, like we believe that it is true, we will be the people who run around like Joey. We will. We should be the ones running around going, yeah! Because the people around us are stuck with their heads between these bars and they're like, I don't know how to get out. And we have the story. We have the answer. And it's nothing you can do. You can't pull harder on them to get them out. You can't tell them pray harder, work harder, you know, read more stuff. All you can say to them is follow me as I have followed Christ. You've got to think differently and it's not going to come from what the world is telling you to do. Sometimes it's just not going to work. You're going to have to push into the pain, not try to run away from it. But they'll never do that if we aren't there. If they don't know what we know, and they can't see that we have gone through, they will never ask those questions. You and I can run. We can walk in freedom, flailing our arms. Yeah, I'm free. That's why our minds need to be renewed. Not every Sunday. I am so grateful that you were here. I'm so grateful that you're with us online. If you're here on a Wednesday, I'm grateful you're here with us when you watch this. But let me tell you, this is not enough because I forget some of what I say by the time I leave. I get it. The best way to renew your mind is to discuss, to deliberate, to think over what the scriptures say. Look into the Bible. This is why as a church, what do we do together every day? We soap together. Soaping is our way of reading the Bible one chapter at a time. You got time for that. I know you do. We all do. One chapter is not going to destroy your day, but I will tell you it will change your mind. It will change the way that you think. It's not just to check off a box, although I love checking off the box. It feels so satisfying. But I love even more that my mind has been renewed. And that when I'm in the context of my small group and I don't understand something, their minds are being renewed and we're encouraging each other, blessing each other, challenging each other. With every victory that we have, I'm telling you the enemy will shoot more arrows at you and I trying to plant different lies in our mind. Some of the most common lies, I'm unworthy. Why would God love me? I, I, I stole from this person. I cheated them out. I, I'm a horrible person. I am unworthy. He lies and gets us to believe that we're unloved. I'm sitting in a place now where I'm single. I never thought I'd be single at this age, at this time. Everyone around me is, is getting married. Everyone around me is having kids. Everyone around me is, is you know, enjoying their post-divorce life and doing what they want. Why is it so hard for me? 
God, I'm doing what you're saying. Why is this so tough? I must be unloved. He lies and gets us to believe that we're unforgiven, that we're unknown and insignificant, that the sins that we've committed are just over that forgivable line, that the people that it's hurt, they may have said, oh, I forgive you, but there's no way God can forgive you for that. And the insignificance of walking around and feeling unseen, whether it's at school, at work, and even in your own home, and someone says something that reinforces everyone else in the world and their problems are way more important than you. Many of us believe the lie of, I'm a mistake. I'm a mistake. My parents say I'm a mistake. My siblings say I'm a mistake. My teachers, my friends. They're not even only my friends. There must be something wrong with me. Cross-bridging. Jesus is calling you and I to put on our helmet of salvation and put an end to these lies. He's calling us to renew our minds through Scripture so that when these lies come up, and let me tell you, Satan will keep trying. He will keep trying to get us to believe these lies, but when our helmet is on, our minds are renewed through Scripture, saturated in the truth of God. That's what fights off those lies. Because we need to remember in those times what God says about us, what God and who God says we are, which we sang about all morning. That's what we sang about. Can I tell you who God says that you are? Can I tell you who God says that you are? Yes. Do you want to know? Yes. Would you stand with me? Ephesians 1, I'm not even going to tell you. I'm going to let the Apostle Paul tell you like he told the church that he loves so much in this very letter. This is how he opens his letter to this church to remind them of who they are. He says this, all praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and to be without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us, to adopt you into his family by bringing you to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure to do it. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. We are free with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mystery and his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill, it's to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he is going to bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and earth. Furthermore, because we're united in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. And he chose us in advance. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. Amen? You can be seated. When the enemy says, I'm unworthy, salvation, and our helmet says, no, you are holy. You are blameless. The enemy says, I'm unloved. 
Salvation says you are loved for all eternity. The enemy says I'm unforgiven. Salvation says you are fully forgiven. The enemy says I am unknown, but salvation says now you, you are chosen and adopted into my family. The enemy says I am insignificant. And salvation says no, you are victorious and raised with Christ. And the enemy says, I am a mistake. But salvation says, I am a work of art. I am valuable. When the enemy comes at you with another set of lies, this week, it's time to strap on this helmet. And I will tell you from experience, it's heavy. It's awkward. question I have for you this morning is simply this. Where is your helmet of salvation today? Like a Roman guard watching Paul as it's sitting on the table next to you? Frontless? Useless? Offering no protection of your mind whatsoever? Is it sitting there because the weight of looking and living out a Christ-like life around you is just too heavy to bear? Or have you strapped it on, knowing you will stand out, you will look different, pursuing Jesus will be hard because the world will say you look like an idiot in that hat. Say, yep. But I'm protected. It's through Jesus Christ that I am here. Where are you hurting? How can I help? Where's your helmet today?